Welcome to Game Over Montreal, our first episode since the big announcement that we're expanding the show to multiple other shows. We're expanding to Canadian markets. If you haven't seen it, go to sdpn.ca slash careers and check it out. The Montreal Canadiens lose another one. Uh, this is a rough situation for the Canadians. Let's be frank. They're going through some of the best teams in the East right now, best teams in the league, and the roster is just not there. We're going to talk about that and more with two special guests, Mitch Brown and David St. Louis. How you doing, guys? Great, great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. You know, I'm excited to chat with you guys. You know, I've, I've chatted with Mitch a lot this year between this show and uh, Game Over Juniors that we did. But uh, all of my chatting with David has been in, in uh, DMs. So we finally get David on the show. Uh, I I'm talked here. about uh, David last week when we had Tony Ferrari on and we were talking about Justin Barron and David got to the ire of Canadians Twitter after the trade because he trashed Justin Barron, which really was, he set expectations appropriately. And then he went into detail and did a video breakdown for EP ringside on their YouTube channel that you should check out. I highly recommend it because it shows the strengths and weaknesses of his game very effectively. Uh, so David, welcome to the show finally. And how was Justin Barron tonight? Yeah, he was pretty good, and thank you. I'm happy to be here. Honestly, I, I watched a bit of his of the two previous games that he played, and it wasn't as good as tonight. But tonight, you could feel that he was gaining confidence, and some of the plays he made in the AHL and even in juniors, they started to come back. We saw him activate up ice and complement the plays of others, other skilled forwards like like Suzuki, and he had, we saw his shot. So it was a much better game from him, and I'm happy that. He's gaining confidence, he's gaining some minutes, and he was even better on, on the in the puck moving department. So yeah, he, he showed some more elements tonight. He had some mistakes, and it's going to continue being like this for a while because I don't think he's NHL ready uh, completely. Uh, he's, the mistakes don't matter right now. So even if, it may, if he makes them, he's not going to get benched. The ice time won't change for him, but at least he's gaining confidence and we see a bit of his offensive game, which he has. Like I project him more as a defensive guy ultimately his biggest strength is going to be more of the defense for me in a few years but he's going to have these offensive flashes just like David Savar we see sometimes make the pull off some moves and he's not going to be David Savar necessarily but he has some moves in his repertoire for sure yeah I I see essentially what you saw I think he was a lot more confident tonight which is ironic because yeah. I feel like the Canadians had less room to work with tonight than pretty much any other games since they've had the coaching change, right? Like it felt like watching the Canadians under Dominique Ducharme tonight in a lot of ways, and that they didn't really have much hope in the game. They didn't really have a chance to press and create the, some of those high quality scoring chances that we're more used to. But I think that comes down to the fact that their, their roster is relatively thin right now. And you got to credit the Carolina hurricanes who like, frankly played a perfect game. One thing that's really impressive about Carolina is just how they manage the defensemen, and that gave the Montreal Canadiens fits all game long. Montreal, under Martin St. Louis, likes to use the middle on the breakout. So what does Carolina's defensemen do? They pinch a lot. They create a lot of turnovers. So Montreal can't get out of the zone. And also, 
Carolina does a really good job of exchanging along the boards. The forwards will come up and the defensemen will go down. It's like this total free-flowing hockey kind of setup. And Montreal just couldn't keep up. They couldn't read it. And going back to Justin Barron, Justin Barron was actually one of the only players in this game who managed to get a stop or two off of that handoff play that Carolina was running a lot. Yeah, the, yeah. the transition game was pretty harsh tonight. Honestly, getting a clean breakout, using the middle... It was just not possible. And, and because the Toronto was so good offensively, they kill, they, they managed to cycle the, the play and stay for a while in the Canadian defensive zone. It's hard to break out when you're always defending like this. You're not in the right positions. So it's hard to find options. And then when you can't break out, you can't gain the offensive line of control. And if, if you're not playing fast because you're always chasing the game, this is what happens. And it wasn't pretty, but we saw some good flashes from a, a few players still. Yeah, there was a few good flashes, but I feel like that transition play, as much as like getting hemmed in their own zone was an issue, it was almost most visible when the Canadians had a power play, and they just could not, for the life of them, enter the zone. And, you know, I I love the fact in one respect that they were like, we're not going to dump it in. We refuse to dump it in. We're just going to try to carry it in over and over and over again. But when they're lining up three guys along the blue line and... You're just not coming with enough speed to force them back. It isn't going to work, and it very clearly did not work. <laughs> I guess that's one they of those situations have. where they just haven't shown the versatility necessary to break through when somebody figures out exactly what they're going to do every time. I think it's often a personnel issue with Montreal. Like they're laying the framework for what they're trying to do moving forward. Again, it's about using the middle, activating their defensemen at the right time. Uh, lots of like east-west passing plays as well, stuff that we did not see under Ducharme at all. And there are going to be growing pains. And there are especially going to be growing pains when you only have like eight guys on the entire team who are capable of making those plays consistently. Yep. And <laughs> with this current squad, the guys who are playing the big minutes and making the, those decisions are the players that I think we're inevitably going to see get forced out. Yeah, yeah I mean, sometimes... Go ahead, sometimes David. When you're... <laughs> sorry, no, it's my fault. That. It's not, I, I think it was a good point that you brought up that sometimes you just have to dump the puck in when the other team just stands at the blue line. You, it's not a, a good play to make, but you just have no choice. You just try it. You can't be making the same play over and over again because you become predictable. So you sometimes you just have to mix it up and send the puck in, go fetch it, and then the next time try to drop pass. You have to keep your, your options open and diverse, diversify your plays too. Yeah, I feel like... Outside of a couple of players, I, I feel like Josh Anderson had a good night. He like had one of those nights. Like, you guys remember Rene Bork, where like he almost looked amazing a lot of the time. He had one of those nights, but you you kind of expect like a little bit more out of Josh Anderson long term. I feel like he he was so necessary tonight because he's got that big body and that speed that he can create space in games where there isn't any. And he almost did that a few times tonight. He got some really good looks. Like he could have scored two goals tonight with the breakaway and then the chance that he had in the third period, which I believe he rang off the post behind Anderson. So like I thought like he did his job tonight. Uh, you know, Caulfield, I think, was pretty good in the third period. Suzuki, they they just knew where he was gonna go. Like, I feel like there's so much dependent on Suzuki that they just keyed on him and he didn't have any space. But outside of the actual like the one line, essentially. I liked Yelonen a little. Dauphin seemed to like be good on the four check. What else did you guys see? 
it was nice to see Elon playing because I've been watching him a lot with more in Finland and in the AHL. I didn't see much of him in the NHL and he didn't get many favorable pucks in this game. He didn't get space to really attack or plays to make, but you could see his, his speed. It can be, he can be used as a checker. He has some offensive skills and I don't think we initially saw a shot, but he has skills to, to offer and he can, he won't be able to replace Lekkonen exactly, but he's that type of player too. He has the defensive game that, that just keeps on improving every year and he's going to play a pretty big role, I think, for some at some point inside this team. When I say a big role, I don't mean necessarily in the top six, but on a third line with some defensive responsibility, he's going to be able to fill that role for me. Over the course of his development, Elonen added a lot of playmaking ability too. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it was more like the short range give and go kind of stuff, but we also started seeing a lot of cross lot passes in Finland, a lot of him looking for teammates in high danger areas. And then he kind of lost that uh, when he came over to North America. But under Martin St. Louis, again, this is something that he seems to be emphasizing. So we might see Ulan return to that game. And that only bodes well for a player with his speed, with his ability to take pucks off the boards and get to the middle. And of course, he has the big shot that is just waiting to be unlocked by a little bit more east-west puck movement and opportunity. Yeah, I, I feel like I I didn't see as much of the passing tonight from Yolan. He was kind of stuck on the boards all night. And like that's something that uh, we talked about a lot under Ducharme was like a big issue on this team and it, we weren't sure how much of it was roster construction and how much of it was strategy. They just really struggled to get off the boards. That kind of appeared tonight. I found the, the hurricanes just kept them along the boards in the offensive zone, but his first two games up, he had two pretty great assists, uh, Jesse Yelonen on those cross ice passes. So seeing that from him and a bit of versatility, when his first call up, he was kind of, like just kind of noticeable for the shot and the four checking adding that makes him a much more interesting prospect. So you guys both see him as kind of like a, if he tops out a decent third line uh, scoring winger kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of a real realistic upside. He has the skill to play up the lineup, play kind of a complimentary role and in a top six play there in a pinch, but I don't think he has the, Offensive instinct, the playmaking ability every night to really complement other, others in that way. So create passing lanes to them and really create opportunities for others. He's more a guy who creates turnovers with speed and then goes not around the net, but he just relocates in pockets of space, uses his shot, and then uses his speed again. So he's pretty limited in what he can do, but I think he's going to get really good in those those things that he can do, actually. So, yeah, I see as a, him as a middle six winger maybe in a year next season, maybe he could already play that role next season. He, he seems to be in an upward curve in this development. And that has been continued since his, since this draft year, really. And his skating has improved still. I think he was even faster than I remember. So he has a lot of interesting elements, but maybe not the top six potential that maybe I saw at some point with him. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And I feel like one of the biggest things for, fan bases at least is giving like a, a realistic expectation for players. You, you don't want to put somebody in the Jonathan Drouin situation where you acquire a player and he's sold as the next great French Canadian center, you know, the, the next Vincent Domfus kind of thing or Pierre Turgeon. And he ends up being just a decent offensive winger on your second line. 
and that's suddenly not good enough for a very reasonable salary. Like, there's issues with Jonathan Drouin's defensive games, but uh, the toxicity around him in the fan base and in certain parts of media seems to me to be stemmed entirely from the expectations of what he was going to be because he's still a decent player. Yeah, and I think he never really got the role that would have allowed him to drive in, in Montreal, like the, the right line mates, because I think he, he could be a point per game player still, but he would really need the right fit, the right line mates that perfectly complement his style. They can get open. They are really someone like Sebastian Aho on the other side tonight. Like he, he would try with someone like this. We can just, we can create plays from the other side. So Chatan Dwayne likes to have the puck on his stick, but he needs someone who can get open and do so ahead of the play. And if he, if the other guy can create the play for him and he's there, we can just, uh, just can just rely on his, on his passing skills to make that play. And he has the speed to complement those plays. I think, I think he could really try, but right now in Montreal, it's going, it's going to go through another rebuild. Uh, he has one more year, I think left on his contract. Is that it? One more? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So you won't get those circumstances, circumstances again. So He's a 50-point winger right now, and he's pretty good in that role. He's not paid a lot for that role. I think it's good for the Habs still. Yeah, I, I think he'll play out his contract. There's a lot of hubbub around that he might get bought out, and I'm like, I just I don't see how that helps the team in any way. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I, I think the worst thing that Jonathan Drouin this, did this year was happen to get injured, and people forget that he was one of the only guys who brought it like every game. <laughs> during the first half of the year. But let's let's move on from Drouin because I, I want to talk about Rem Pitlick a little bit because this is a guy that the Canadians fan base is falling in love with. He's on like a just under 50-point pace per 82 games since he's been acquired by the Canadians. But like I wrote about him this week for the Gazette. And a great his, article. Already. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But like his defensive metrics are astonishing. And part of that is like, let, he hasn't exactly been put in a situation that's beneficial defensively with the Canadians. Uh, when he's had to play center, that isn't the right spot for him. Uh, even spending time with Christian Dvorak, who's had a miserable season defensively, a big outlier season for him. Not that he's great defensively, but he's usually like 35th or so percentile. And this year he's like first percentile <laughs> in bad defensive play. So what, what do you guys see in Rem Pitlick? Because it seems to me like he's a guy who can play with speed and has the instincts in the offensive zone to be in the right spots and make the right plays. But then you've got the extreme shooting percentage swings, both personally and on ice. And I, I'm just wondering, is he a Paul Byron with less defense and a little bit more offense? Or is he a somebody who isn't close to Paul Byron because the offense is all percentages and maybe what we're seeing right now is a bit of a mirage. Well, percentages can often warp our perspective of how a player is performing. And I think in Pitlick's case, it's a little bit of, well, he's good at what he does. He plays fast. He plays hard. He, uh, he's very good at turning puck battles into, uh, I don't know, all out wars. You know, he's the type of guy who can, who can make a mess of the game whenever he wants to. And that's probably going to be when the shooting percentage comes back down to earth, what he does. And we know that Montreal Canadiens fans still value that thing. They still value the way that he plays. And as they should, that's a valuable asset to have on your fourth line. Of course, like he's shooting at like 27%, which is astronomical. 
Uh, and given his shooting talent, you would expect him to probably probably be below the NHL average by a little bit, not uh, like 17% above it. But he'll, he'll, he could be an effective checker long term. I don't see that as an unrealistic expectation at all. But, you know, he's feeling it right now and you can see it every time he steps on the ice. Yeah, it seems like every season in a rebuilding team, there's a story about a player who scores a lot from a lot of, getting a lot of opportunities, a lot yep. of volume, a lot of luck. And he might be that guy. He might turn into nothing next season or close to, or he might continue to improve because he's not that old and maybe he can still add to his game. And this is a great opportunity. He's getting a lot of ice time. It's going to help his development still. So maybe he turns into something next year. But uh, I tend to agree with you, uh, Andrew. Maybe the Habs have to be, they have to take the safe, safe approach with him because this is not sustainable. Yeah, I, I, he's one of those guys where, like, with young players, I, I'm of two minds, right? Like, I think the last administration made some major mistakes trying to take to give out show me deals, right? With uh, specifically PK Subban and well, not really Carey Price. They signed him long term right away, but uh, Max Pacioretty. No, that was the previous administration before, I think, signed him for a two-year deal. But even then, Pacioretty's contract was quite reasonable. But those show-me deals with the two years for young players, a lot of times if they're a high-end player, you're taking a major risk that they break out, and then they showed you, and now you have to pay up, right? And that causes some consternation, like it did with the Subban uh, arbitration hearing. But with Pitlick, I feel like the risk of giving a short-term contract like that is not that high because the odds of him even equaling this season are relatively low because number one, he's not going to get this much opportunity again, just because like they're building a better roster as things go on and the shooting percentage will probably not hit this high. I mean, even if he is a way above average shooter than we expect, and that comes down to something like Byron has where like almost all of his shots are either breakaways, two on ones or rebound chances he's not going to shoot 27% because the highest shooting percentage in NHL history is like 23. And that was uh, Craig Simpson who <laughs> had a very short prime, but a very intense prime in, ter in terms of scoring. So it's just not something that you can count on continuing. So I I'm, I think I like Rem Pitlick as a player, but I think if they can build something where Pitlick and Jake Evans are the crux of their fourth line, That to me is very interesting, but if Pitlick is playing higher up in the lineup, probably problematic if you're trying to build a contender. The question becomes, is he just good when he receives those kinds of opportunities? Can he play a role down the lineup and be just as effective as someone like Jake Evans, whose skill set you can move around the lineup and he's mm -hmm. going to be just as effective? He won't be scoring a lot in the top six, but move him on a fourth line and he's still going to provide value. Uh, defensively, still going to drive play in a way by retrieving pucks, by shutting down the opposition. Can Ram learn to do that? Because I haven't watched him a lot. I would be lying to say that I really know this player, but from reading your article, from watching him tonight, he has some defensive holes in this game. And can he change this game completely and adapt to a new role? And is he going to be just as effective in that role as someone else who could replace him? So, These are questions I can't really answer, but <laughs> they're out there for the Canadian management. Exactly. I feel like that's the thing. What you hit on there, David, is that if you can't develop somebody to replace a guy around that value, that's 
kind of the issue <laughs> and the Canadians yeah. need to be really focused on developing. And they've, they've said that they are, we're going to see, I guess, in the off season, what they do with their development department, because obviously it's very limited. We'll say at this moment in time, Marty LaPointe is on an Island, but uh, hopefully they can give us something to talk about in that respect. Now we, we kind of mentioned Baron a little bit. Now uh, the big, name right now going around in Canadians social media and fan base is uh, Jordan Harris who signed a contract with Montreal didn't play tonight I thought he was going to and we were going to get to actually watch him play and see who he did in his first NHL game but not tonight probably going to play down the stretch probably burn the first year of that contract what should Canadians fans expect from Jordan Harris I know he's been a little bit overhyped throughout the year but is this a guy who can play relatively solid hockey and not you know, blow the doors off, but not be a bunch of mistakes, or is he a bit more of a risk taker, a risk taker, a gambler? He's going to be a physical shutdown. <laughs> I'm not going to <laughs> say the exact same prediction twice, um, but he's kind of in that mold still. Not the physicality part, but his game is really safe and conservative and making the right plays at the right time. He's a great rush defender. His skating is his best asset for sure. It's not top end either. Like you're not going to see a Queen use or anything, but just someone who's very mobile from side to side with four way mobility. This is very scouting term. That means that he has high agility, can move around. He has high defensive range, can cover a lot of ice. And that, that rush defense is his best asset. And it generates some offense for him too, because he can create turnover in between blue lines and he can move the puck quickly. But you won't see him. Uh, attract a four checker and beat him one-on-one -on -one and create advantages like this for his team. He's going to make the safe rim, safe, safe pass. If he has someone open in the middle, he can hit him. He has some passing skills, but he's just not that kind of risk taker that maybe Baron is right now. He's more safe and coaches are going to like this and they are going to reward him with minutes for this. But yeah, don't expect offense too much from him. Expect a safe floor who's going to fit the any initial system really and maybe more of a bottom pairing guy <laughs> i don't think the expectations should be too high for him because he just lacks that kind of dynamic skills that usually make tough four defensemen maybe i'm wrong on this but i see more of a bottom pairing guy so counterpoint Mitch. alexander romanov is being a playmaker in the offensive zone out of nowhere <laughs> i don't know josh don't anderson know. is passing josh That's anderson true. is passing <laughs> So it's true. They're no, bringing I, things out of players. Well, Mitch, I was going to say, <laughs> after what David said, so we should not trust what uh, Harris said earlier this week, where he said that he'd modeled his game over Matt Grizzlick and Miro Heiskanen. He well, said I think Grizzlick is a reasonable. Grizzlick yeah. is a reasonable thing. Like you're looking at guys who can defend the rush and then get back and grab the retrieval that they created and then make the next play. Grizzlick is a little bit more advanced in terms of how he attacks the inside, how he draws forechecking pressure towards him. Neither guy is going to post massive, massive, massive offensive point totals. I think, you know, this is a guy, this is a guy who just finished his fourth year of university and he was half a point per game. Yeah. The players who score that much at this stage are not NHL players usually. Harris, of course, is in a unique position because Northeast, Northeastern was a little bit in a tricky spot this year, and he does have the previous season where he was scoring a lot. But you shouldn't expect a ton of offense from him unless the Montreal Canadiens uh, have some sort of hidden development serum that they give him, and he suddenly starts making crazy offensive plays. From the point he's very 
traditional, like kind of move east west, open shooting lanes. But he's not a he's not a dynamic playmaker. He's not going to make any advanced reads. But the other thing is he doesn't have to be. He was a third round pick. He's going to play bottom pairing minutes. He's going to do it fine. Doesn't doesn't need to be anything greater than that. You know, Montreal Canadiens fans always turn around. And they're like. And, and they're like, oh, I thought this player was going to be great because X, Y has said so. And then they're not good. And then the next player, they're like, oh, you're underselling him. It's like a bottom pairing defenseman is such a valuable asset in today's game. Like it's impossible to negate. Like, it's impossible to ignore the value that Grizzly provides to the Bruins or like literally anyone who played limited minutes on Tampa Bay Lightning over the last two years. Yeah, yeah that's the thing that has value. Yeah, exactly. And there's a difference between like when I say offensive defenseman and I, when I talked about Baron like this, I mean players who are capable of creating plays out of nothing. And yeah. I don't think Harris can do that. He can take what's there. He can activate it. There's a pocket of space. You're going to see him attack it and he's going to make those plays, but he's not going to be the one starting a play that's not there. And that's the, my definition of offensive defenseman. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so let's stick with defensemen and we'll stick with Canadian prospect Canadians prospects for now before we talk about like some draft eligibles. So we got some questions from from Canadians fans uh, when I put it out there on Twitter as well, which I'm going to load on my phone now. But we're talking about you know uh, Justin Barron, who I think the high point for him that we're expecting just based on reasonable. Uh, projections is like if he becomes a number four defenseman, everybody should be really happy, right? And Jordan Harris, if he becomes a number five defenseman, everybody should be really happy. Uh, where does Caden Gooley fit in the Canadians' future in defenseman? I know that Mitch has a fantastic video that he put out for EP Ringside, and I suggest everyone watch that because it is incredible to watch Gooley just wreck people over and over again with smart smart checking but how does that skill translate into the nhl i'm gonna let david take this one away i i spoke my piece on ghoulie really he's your guy <laughs> <laughs> all right okay uh, i see ghoulie but for me he's the n- number one defensive prospect on the halves for sure um again he's a shut down physical defenseman but what makes him uh, better is really the way he the effectiveness of this shutdown game so he's even more mobile than baron he's his physicality is even greater and he's his mind for a defensive game is really good too the way he angles um attackers the way he kills their space he's on check before they get the puck he's always stick lifting uh, but boxing out he has the size the speed the, the, the agility he has all of the tools of the Bass shutdown defenseman in the game doesn't mean he's going to become these guys he has the potential to be you know and when you're that good of a shutdown element you can generate offense from it because when you create a turnover the other team is not set so when you just knock the puck away the other team, your team can pick it up and duck up ice quicker so he, he's going to provide offensive value in different ways and i think his puck moving is improving slowly it's not massive steps from from what, what i I, I could see from his draft year until now, he's a better puck mover. He's a bit more offensively um, confident. And if the, the, the Habs do install a system where they ask their defensemen to activate uh, around the zone, where they, they ask him to switch with forwards, he's going to be able to play that style because he, he recognizes play at an 
average level maybe, but it's enough to play that style. And he has skills. So he's a bit shy about using that skill and it's pretty weird. Uh, usually you see junior players who want to attempt everything on the ice, everything play they see, but he's a bit shy about those plays, but he has the only handling skills and the skating ability and the shot too. So he could turn into more and he has more runway still. So I, I think one of the... Yeah, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I, I think one of the interesting things about him is that it was actually like in his draft year where we saw probably the most offense from him he was sprinting up and down the ice all the time activating nonstop. he had this play that he absolutely loved where four would come up the boards he'd go down just like how carolina was torching the Habs night and then he'd come in and get a shot he scored a goal like that at the world juniors uh in 2021 um and that's resurfaced a lot in edmonton this year where he's still taking his high volume shots most of them awful but he's getting into the right lanes more consistently he's trying to activate and make more high-end plays like we see him pass while he's moving and then dip around the defender who's coming towards him and get open for a return pass. This is something that you tend to see from only like real top end defensive prospects and major junior. So he's adding a lot of components to his game that should mesh well with the way the current Canadians management sees this group and especially the coach. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like Gooley, I'm trying to think of somebody who makes a decent comparable to him in the NHL. I know Gooley is much more nasty and significantly larger as well. But just from the way that you guys are describing, and especially uh, what David mentioned, basically creating more offense on the ice without necessarily being involved in the offense because of the defensive plays you're making. And I'm wondering, like, does Dylan DeMello sound like that kind of style of play might be a prototype for what Gooley can do in the NHL? Because he's a guy that when you look at his underlying numbers, the teams that he's been with consistently... Uh, create more offense while he's on the ice, but he gets like no points. I don't know that DeMello enough, but from what you describe, from how you describe his game, I could see it. I think he's going to be, and is his positioning in the defensive zone is good too and after rush. So because he's there, because he eliminates attackers, he eliminates options for the other team, it's much harder for the other team to, to make plays in general. So you wouldn't see with Gula on the ice, as much as uh, what you saw tonight against Carolina, where they were just controlling the play because they had so many options open. They could hit this guy and this guy on the other side of the ice. Gulli just is on checks. And yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the goal that uh, I think it was the David Savard on the ice and Corey Schoenemann. Sorry, <laughs> I haven't watched a lot of Pats games. Um, and they, they both let their, their checks roam free around the, around the net. And because of that, the goal happened. This kind of thing wouldn't happen with Gulli. He would be on, on your check and never letting him go. So because of that, it's harder for your team to make plays and you retrieve the pucks faster and you can move it up ice faster. So yes, I think he could be like Demelo if you describe him like this. It, it presents my, it fits my picture of Gulli. So another, another good one would be Jacob Slavin on Carolina. He's not the yeah. playmaker that Slavin is, but like the same kind of defensive range, the same kind of just like, nuclear play killing ability like he just kills things all the time super early and doesn't give anyone any space and then another player comes to mind is uh like a a shorter kind of like less intelligent keandre miller plays for new york he's a big rangy defenseman who makes a lot of really advanced plays that Gooley doesn't but it's the same sort of play killing retrieval ability and he creates a lot of offensive opportunities just by killing plays at the blue line like the offensive blue line, not, not his own blue line. Like Gooley killing plays at the, at his own blue line is worst case scenario. A lot of the time. 
Uh, uh, you yeah. said smaller, and I was like, Jesus, Keon is Gooley small? And I was like, oh, no, Keandre Miller is 6'4". I didn't realize he was that big. Yeah. He's a big dude. And the Rangers have some decent defense installed there for the future. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're actually a very good team this year. They're mostly just Chesterkin, but... Overall, decent things going forward for the Rangers. All right. Uh, I did want to ask, because I think last time we were talking, I don't know if it was on air or off air. Uh, I talked to Mitch and we talked about Joshua Waugh because he is absolutely lighting up the QMJHL this season and people are freaking out because he just, I believe he just signed a deal with the Canadians and they're very excited for this kid to make the team. But Mitch had mentioned that, uh, I think it was you, Mitch, correct me if I'm wrong, if I say something that you didn't say. But I, I believe you said that the way he generates offense doesn't usually translate into high-scoring players in the NHL. Do you still see that way, uh, if that's what you said, or if it was somebody else? Sorry. <laughs> but uh, Or is he developing a little bit better as the season goes on? Or maybe the Canadians having a better developmental situation might help him along a little bit. So my take was entirely derived from David St. Louis' article on Josh Wawa from uh, from EPRingside.com. Pass in the buck. Pass in the buck. Uh, I, ha- I haven't watched I haven't watched a single Q game this year. Uh, okay. The Q is on my list for next week. I will get to Wawa probably on like next Friday or something. I'll be I'll be where I start. So this is all David's territory from here. And if and and I just want to put it out there that if he's wrong about Wawa, our brand is separate from David. Just so, just so there's no no confusion here. All the blame on me. That's fine. Yeah, what is really interesting case of a player? It's rare we see such improvements from year to year in production, but also there's noticeable improvements on the ice. In his defensive game, his motor is much better. So he plays with a lot more in energy than he did in his draft year, but he had no energy, zero. Uh, but now it's much better. It's it's about average for a QMJHL, but about a bit above average even um his defensive game has improved to to his reads his playmaking ability i like his hockey sense a lot more this year than i did last year but <laughs> of course there's but uh, i read an article today today from Matthias brunet and i it said that in a redraft joshua Roy would go top 10 in this draft and it's not even close. You can't have that kind of expectations for him. It's way, way, way out of line. Because the issue with him is that he has some skills of a top six forward, but he doesn't have a fallback game, really. If he doesn't make uh, that top six, top nine, maybe on a scoring line, he's not going to be able to do much else. And he has some pretty serious skating limit limitations still. It's, it could get to an average grade you know, at the HL level, but... He's still a bit heavy on his feet. And it's not that I think he lost weight in the offseason and all that, but his stride has some mechanical flaws that slow him down. It's not that bad in QMJHL. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a limiter of his potential. And the, the hockey sense, when you project it to the NHL, it's closer to average than significantly above average. Like I've seen a lot of people talk about his hockey sense, like this great point. He has some moments where you see flashes of really great playmaking abilities, but Usually he relies on the same place to score. So he's going to come down the wing, fire, and beat goalies that are not as good. And he's going to rush the net, stand then stand there a bit and find pucks. And his playmaking has improved. And that I really like. And I keep coming back to this because for me, it's really the motor what's going to drive him to the NHL if he gets there, becoming more of a dual threat kind of guy. So in his draft year, he used to be just a scorer, someone who would just fire pucks on a power play mostly. Now he can feed teammate, teammates and use the threat of his shot to create for teammates. So 
there are improvements. And again, it's rare you see a player improve this much in a year. So I'm confident in his ability, but he has to take another massive step to get to the NHL. And it's rare that you see players take two of those massive steps uh, to get there. So I guess he has top six upside, but the, the certainty of him getting there is a lot smaller than four other top prospects. So you have to keep your expectations in check. You can still be excited about him and watch him. He's going to be frustrate. I think he's going to be a good AHL player, but just temper your, your expectations a bit, maybe. Yeah, we, got and we should probably... And we should probably clarify that, like how you score in junior and how you score in the NHL are two very different things. And that's yeah. why a lot of these guys have a, take a really long time to figure out how to score. Like Jonathan Drouin was a 2.35 points per game score in the queue and his D plus one. So like how you end up getting these points is it can change completely. I mean, we look at Anthony Duclair, it took him a while to figure out how to recapture his scoring in the NHL. It took, Joe Valeno is still trying to figure out how to do, and he's a very close comparable scoring-wise to Joshua Wall. So, as David said, sometimes it's just a matter of coming down the wing and pulling the trigger. Over time in junior, we see a lot of players, their skill set kind of shrinks. It doesn't expand. It seems like Waz is going in the opposite direction where it's expanding. But a lot of these guys know that they have a shot that from where, you know, from the top of the circle, they can score on 20% of them, whereas the average Q player only scores on 5% of them. And so they can just keep taking these bad shots over and over and over again and be reliant on something that won't benefit their game at all at the next level. Is that happening with Wah? I don't know, but I think that's just a little bit of important context to understand why this guy can be scoring like almost two points per game and Davis being a little bit uh, cautious in his projection. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's... a video on him, him <laughs> on the EP YouTube channel, so you can wait for that. Excellent. Canadians fans will be excited to watch that, I am sure. But I, I feel like that's what uh, you hear coaches often talk about with like junior habits, right? Is like settling for those even like low mid danger shots instead of driving to the net and getting to the net front or not necessarily like shooting from the net front, but being able to create chances with cross crease movement, either you taking the puck across or getting a pass across or putting the pass across, you know, like getting goalies moving at the NHL level is absolutely essential. Uh, we had a comment here from Exertion says, uh, but the points, David, <laughs> <laughs> the points yeah, are, say, are there. Yeah. That's for sure. But uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to translate to the NHL. It, that's why the scouts are kind of necessary as you figure out who's actually doing the hard work and, and figuring out the point production. It's why you see people kind of, crapping on Shane Wright this year as a top prospect and not understanding that it's not all about points. Like we had on uh, the show with Tony Ferrari, people pointing out like Nick Suzuki's point production in junior was vastly better than Shane Wright's. Well, like Nick Suzuki didn't lose a whole year of development to the pandemic and they just play very different styles. And they're so, also wrong. That, but that, that's that's how we're here over there. <laughs> well, tell tell them why they're wrong, uh, Mitch. There, because I I feel like we we talk about Canadians prospects, and we'll continue to do that if there's any more questions. But let's also talk about the draft eligibles because the Canadians have a really high pick here. What are they wrong about with uh, with Shane Wright? Well, the first thing is that so Nick Suzuki in his draft year scored one point four eight points per game. Shane Wright, despite a slow start, is currently at one point four seven. Uh, big difference. It's still worse. It's still worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's still worse. I mean, he's been on an absolute terror lately. And the underlying metrics that like I track 
suggest that he's having a near historical level playmaking season for a draft eligible CHL player. He doesn't have two incredible line mates like Kevin Hancock and Jonah Gadjevich. Uh, OHL ones will know what I'm talking about or on Nick Suzuki's case. Shane Wright does not have those caliber line mates. And he's a guy who, you know, likes to set players up. And it's hard to set players up when one of your wingers is sprinting ahead of the play and the other one can't keep up. So he kind of ends up in this weird position where he's not getting all the opportunities. Over the course of the season, we've seen him become a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more selfish with the puck, shooting it a lot more. Um, you know, I, when we set it, set a game over juniors, he has a scalable game. It's going to adapt well to the NHL. You put him in a situation, he's going to figure out the best possible way to get the best possible results. There's very little waste to his game. There are a few details that he needs to clean up. There are a few mechanical things that he needs to clean up, but he is a, your pretty standard first overall caliber prospect. And your first overall caliber prospect is, uh, usually, top line score in the NHL. Yeah. There's a comment here from Nicholas Lund says the only real critic that I heard, which I care to listen to about right is that his dedication and drive maybe aren't, uh, he didn't need the comment, but I guess it would be, uh, maybe aren't at the highest level, but that's kind of the opposite of what I've heard about Shane, Wright Is that he's yeah. like really driven. And I wonder if that's just a, a comment based on the production level early in the season, not being there. And, the assumption being that he wasn't driving play, but everything that I've heard about Shane Wright from, from, from Mitch or Tony or all the prospect writers and scouts that I trust is that his drive is incredible. And he's going to be like play driving is going to be his bread and butter. Once he makes the inning. He just needs to be more aggressive, right? Like you look in the defensive zone and it's, it's not a matter of, of want. It's a matter of being more willing to put yourself in those positions, being more willing to say, Hey, I don't have to close this passing lane. If I get the jump on this, I can actually get the puck instead of just, you know, pushing play to the perimeter. That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, people are personally, I think people are overthinking the Shane Wright projection a little bit. I think there is a lot of, you know, trying to figure out how can we knock him down rather than, you know, what does he do? And I'm a person who very much likes to go into the details and to have a nuanced take on players. And, you know, in Shane Wright's case, it's, you know, the protection is really simple in my eyes. He's a good playmaker. He can rip it. Uh, it's an easy pathway for him to improve his shot, for him to improve everything that he does poorly. Strong physical game, not necessarily running over people, but knowing how to protect the puck, knowing how to get to the middle. Just a matter of aggressiveness. And the aggressiveness will come in the NHL when the pace is higher. It often does. Look at Nick Suzuki. Yeah, exactly. That was where, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. We talked in length about this in Suzuki's draft year and then draft plus one. It was the main critic of him. Uh, he was just not engaged. His space was low. It's the same thing with Shane Wright. It's just that he knows where to be at the right time. So he doesn't really need to be ahead of a player all the time. And just like Nick Suzuki, I'm sure it's going to improve in the AHL and if he needs to and in the NHL. Usually good players improve their motor as they reach higher levels. And it's not really a concern for me at all with Shane Wright because he's very athletic, he has a speed, and he's very engaged in the game. So once that the game speed is going to race, he's going to do the same thing. He's going just to raise going to raise his speed and his space to follow it. Excellent. All right. We'll talk we want to ask another draft level question in a second here. But before I do I gotta ask a question that was asked of us on Twitter. And that is uh, what, wondering if the Habs plan on signing Brett Stapley. What's your take on him as a player? So Brett Stapley, uh, I believe Canadians prospect, 
Is this guy good? Uh, it depends on your definition of good. Yeah, like he's super flashy. Like if you like fun, this guy is fun. We're talking like one hand windmill deeks over guys, like crazy hesitation fakes. Like he's an ankle breaker. He's the type of guy who would come down the ice and like very subtly will just send some dude careening into the boards because he just like subtly shifts his weight, turns his head. Everyone's like, oh, he's going backhand and kind of in the middle. And then they turn and then he just explodes back to the inside. His game is about deception, creating advantages through deception. Um, but without, you know, his skating probably projects to slightly below NHL average. Same with the shot. It's a bit of a difficult projection to the NHL. He's also 23, so it's fair to wonder, you know, what the runway is for his growth. And Denver is a very favorable environment for any prospect that steps into it because their structure is not like controlled activation and controlled east-west movements. It's, hey, do whatever you want and have fun. And a guy like Brett Stapley, who is just looking to break some ankles every time he steps on the ice, is going to have success. But yes, they should sign him. It's going to be like he's going to be so much fun to watch in the A because he's going to be able to do it there as well. And yeah, hey, you can bring tickets into Laval. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. The, the, the main issue with his game is just really the lack of growth. He's, it's been, he's been the same kind of player for three years, I think. There was some growth between his first and second NCAA season. But since then, he's the same player. And usually it's not really a good sign. But I, I really like him as a player. I like watching him. I'm not sure he's going to be an NHLer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can be. That's that's the thing about prospects is you get hyped about them and most of them aren't going to make it. You know, it's just it's just the way it goes. It's a tough gig to be in the NHL. All right. Uh, one last Canadians prospect question. Totally off the rails here. But uh, you guys see Riley Kidney's amazing highlight reel goal the other night. What a snipe. What a snipe from the face off in the neutral zone. I'm guessing by your facial expression that Mitch did not see it. <laughs> you can go look for it. It's just it's pretty uh, funny goal. It was a uh, it was yeah. a goal of the year <laughs> candidate, Mitch. <laughs> for those who haven't seen it, uh, go look it up. Basically, uh, he lost the face off, and then the puck trickled down the ice straight to the goalie, who mishandled it into his own net, and I guess he would. Somebody's got to get credit for it. So it was uh, the guy who last handled the puck on the face-off. <laughs> Amazing goal. Not to take anything away from Riley Kidney, who seems to, I believe, is having a pretty good season yeah. in, in the queue. But uh, nice uh, 26th goal of the season, I believe, for him to, uh, I guess, reward his effort on the face-off dot or being put out on the ice in that situation in the neutral zone. Fantastic goal. All right, let's get into the draft eligibles because there's a good chance that the Canadians don't draft first overall and don't get to, to take uh, Shane Wright. So let's say that uh, they draft second overall. Who is the guy that they should be leaning towards out of the op? You want to take this, Mitch? Oh, no, this is, this, uh, this, is, this is you. I know, I know who you're going to say. <laughs> Do you want a better version of Justin Barron? You can't have it. It's um, David Yurichak. He's not as high ranked on many other lists, but we really like him. In fact, I think he's a contender for number one of the first overall pick even. I still have Chain right there, but I really, really like his skill set. Um, what he does, he's a physical 
shut down defenseman. He's also puck mover and he has some offensive abilities. So, so he has pretty much everything in this game. The only thing that's really worrying right now is maybe his skating. I overrated it a bit in the first half of the season. It's more average, slightly above average, I think. But he's aggressive in his defense. He's aggressive in his puck moving. So he tries a lot of plays and he has some offensive skills too. He can manipulate uh, um, defenders coming up to him. He has a big shot. And it's really what he's going to be in the NHL is a shutdown guy that's very aggressive, a bit like Jaden Gooley, uh, but better puck handler too. And someone's going to make better passes too. So we saw the, the progression of Marit Sider with uh, the, the Red Wings. And I think he can could follow the same development path. Again, it's a projection. Maybe it won't happen, but he has the skill base. So the tools, the, the average skating, the 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 skating ability, the hiding, the hiding ability, the shot, the, uh, the physicality to add more skills. And he's very willing to learn. He's very engaged in the game. And he, he's, again, he's aggressive. And I like that in defensemen in general. So I think this is maybe the whole package for defensemen in this draft. And it was supposed to be a, for, a draft that's really about forwards. But I feel that more and more as we advance through the year, we see those defensemen come up him and Simon Nemetz and Denton Matejchak, Pavel Mintyukov. But he's, he's probably the, yeah, it probably has the best package. And I value defense in defensemen, in draft eligible defensemen. And I think he has it too. So he can already play a pretty good shot in game. If he didn't get injured and he continued to develop this season, I think he would have played in the HL next year too. And I think and Mitch likes him too. That's an opportunity with, with him, like uh, something like the, uh, sorry, the Maple Leafs did with Timothy Lilligren and Rasmus Sandin that you can bring them over early in their contract slides, right? So you, have more control their development uh, if that's what he's willing to do and i feel like just based on the organizational depth chart for the canadians a right shot defenseman like that shouldn't be surprising for canadians fans if that's what they choose to go with because i mean there's a reason why they acquired uh baron right it's not just that they wanted a, a solid defensive prospect it's also that he's a right-handed guy almost all their defensemen in, or defensive prospects are on the left but if they were to draft Juracek and say he plays with Caden Gooley, is there a meaner defense pairing in the entire league five years from now, let's say? Maybe not, honestly. <laughs> it sounds pretty vicious from what I've heard of both of these guys. Yeah, that, is, that is going to be outrageous. Outrageous. Like the, the interesting thing, this doesn't necessarily apply to Gooley, but particularly to Juracek, is that he can he can dish it out, but he also makes a ton of plays while just getting plastered along the boards. Like he's a target out there because he's big, because he's young. He's you know like he's a he's a rangy, lanky guy, and so people think they can take a piece off him, and they can for now. But you know it's just going to be like Mo Sider, right? People were able to hit Mo Sider at the beginning, and now Mo Sider's in the NHL, and they get near him and they just go flying. It's yeah. going to be the same thing for Yurashek. Yeah, most cider, man. He has had such an incredible rookie year. Okay, let's see what what else we got here from the comments. There's a couple other ones. Uh, people wanted to hear about uh, Slavkovsky versus uh, Logan Cooley. Oh, David, you should handle Slavkovsky, and I'll handle Cooley. Or I'll handle Cooley. Actually, before Fine. we do that, I forgot, uh, Mitch. Who was your your guy that you would choose if the Canadians pick second? Uh, David Jerichek as well. He's he's my he's my number two on the board. And I, I we David and I have a pretty similar take. I think I'm a little bit more excited about his offensive game than David is. So it just goes to show you how well rounded and exciting his skill set is. 
Yeah, everyone has been raving about his offense, and I'm just like here. No, he, he can be a shutdown guy. He has a defensive skill. Exactly. Thing. Same thing with Baron. Maybe I have, a, I have a problem, and I just see every defenseman as shutdown guys instead of <laughs> offensive weapons. But hey, he can do it. So, <laughs> I mean, clearly the organization, at least the previous regime, really liked acquiring guys with shutdown projections because they acquired them at the NHL level. Guy, yeah, I know, but they acquired them at the NHL level. They acquired them at the prospect level. There was very clearly a. Uh, organizational push towards a certain kind of defenseman uh, previous Canadians management not that uh, this Canadians management has had a chance to show us really what they value but uh, very interesting all right so uh, Slavkovsky versus Cooley uh, who's yeah. better and let's say why I like Slavkovsky more I think that's a bit controversial because I see Logan Cooley ranked as high as number two on a lot of lists but it just Cooley has, <laughs> we can be here for an hour, but I'm going to keep this short. Uh, Cooley has tools, but I don't think I'm as excited by them as some other people. So I think he's more of a closer to average skater. He has the handling skills, but he won't be this, this guy that dangles others and creates these amazing plays in the NHL, at the NHL level. I see him more as a second line, third line center, middle six, who is going to play good defense. And so he has... That shutdown game but he's also going to be a playmaker and i don't see that much scoring potential from him too uh maybe a 60 point guy something like this slavkowski is productive slavkowski is the same tire of prospect there's not one that's more valuable than the other it just depends on what you value and from what i saw with slavkowski in recent games his game is easier to project to the nhl like you can already see him um, go to the net uh, work the boards and him to score with a shot and dangle uh, defenders in the NHL. So his skills are pretty clear and you already know what he's going to be at the NHL level. And I, I like his hockey sense more and more. So he's making more plays right now that I didn't see him make in the first half of the season. He, he's not super smart. Like his hockey sense is maybe slightly above average when you project it to the NHL. Logan Cooley's hockey sense is a bit better. But Slavkowski is bigger. He has some physical skills that Logan Cooley doesn't have. Um, he can create from contact. And by that, I mean that it's very something that's very hard to do and that few draft eligible players can manage. When you're on the boards and the defender is coming on your back, Slavkowski is able to spin off that defender and create some plays that are on the inside. Either he skates toward the slot or, or he can hit teammates after spinning on that defender and protecting the puck. And that's a hard skill to acquire, even at the NHL level. So some people just don't have it. And so I think because this game is more NHL ready, and I think the upside is about the same. Slavkowski for me is going to be a uh, top six winger, which is about equivalent in value to second line center. Uh, I think he just his projection just edges out Logan Cooley's just a bet. But maybe this is going all to change in the next few months when we make our next board. But for now, I like Slavkowski more. What do you think, Mitch? So well, I think you just players. hate cheap players who try to deke people, uh, to be honest. <laughs> he does I think, that. Okay, I'm just kidding. Slavkowski does it. Slavkowski does it a lot. I, lately, I've liked Cooley more and more. I think he played a very simple game early on in the season, and then as it's worn on, he has kind of overcorrected. You know, he's making a lot of turnovers by trying to do too much, but that's you want to see that. That's experimentation. That's a player trying to push their skill limit. Uh, trying to see how far they can expand their game, broaden their horizon, see what types of new plays they can create. 
Um, I don't have any issue with Slavkovsky over Cooley. I think Slavkovsky is probably a number one contender for a lot of NHL teams right now. Uh, and yes. Cooley may very well be as well. So, you know, those are two very exciting players to watch. And it might just come down to an organizational fit. Like if you like size and, you know, you want to be have a team that, you know, wins battles down low, moves pucks to the middle. Slavkovsky is going to be your guy. If you want to be more of a counterattack team that has, you know, full team usage, lots of activation, Cooley might be your player. Yeah, it seems like there's I know this draft has kind of been dogged on a little bit because it doesn't have like the general generational talent at the top. And but the more I hear about these, the, the draft eligible players, especially in like the top five or six, it seems like there's a really good like breadth of depth there. And it seems like the fall off from the top through like the even like the top 10 is not that large. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, it's accurate. I think um, maybe some players in the previous draft would go ahead of the players we're talking about right now, Logan Cooley and Slavkowski, but um, there's a lot of talent there still, and you can get an impact player from the top 10. I think for us at EP ringside, we have pretty clear top six, uh, right? Slavkowski, Yerchek. Cooley, Frank Nazar, who we really like. Uh, is that five or six? Simone Nemitz. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we have a pretty clear top six, and those guys really separated from the rest. But it might still change. So there's, there's, there's talent, there's there are impact players. It might not be the greatest draft, but maybe an average one. And the Habs are going to be able to find... It's a pretty good player still. Someone can play either in the top six or fill a really great role in their lineup anyway. Anyone that they take other than right, though, is going to be a little bit more development required than your average top five pick. That's kind of the big difference. It's not just the players missed here, although I'm sure that plays a big part. A lot of it is just that this is a lot more of um, of a draft class that features players who are experimenting or turnover prone in the process and you know, so you need to see a little bit of tightening up in games that you wouldn't see in a different draft class. Like, it's not a coincidence that in the 2023 class in the WHL alone, you know, the top five guys from there are, might, are more refined, nuanced players than a lot of the players in the top five of this draft. Yeah, I feel like we, we talked about the fact that uh, Shane Wright is the most NHL ready, but it seems like people are kind of split on whether he should be in the NHL next year. I feel like if the Canadians take him, he probably won't be just because they've talked so much about development and not rushing players. And the last administration kind of made that mistake with Victor Mete and Jesperi Kokaniami and look where it got them with both of them, essentially no assets out of it. I guess Christian Dvorak. But anyway, uh, is if Shane Wright has to go back to junior next year, would he be better served? And I asked Tony this question as well. Would he be better served? taking a, a advice from like Austin Matthews and going over to Europe instead and playing against men. I know it's tough yes. to do at a junior, but yes, absolutely. Uh, the, how he's going to add. Yeah. How he's going to add pay. How he's going to add the pace necessary and reach the next level of his development is going to be by going up to the next level. He's the type of guy who sometimes plays down to the level of his teammates, not and not elevating them in the way that you see like a Connor Bedard kind of just like drag anchors around. Um, and like, honestly, I think he's NHL ready next year. I think he'll play and I think he'll be very good off the hop. 
Uh, I don't think it's going to have any long-term complications for his upside by doing so. He's just such an intelligent, smart player that he's going to find ways to adapt in ways that you generally don't see from other high-end prospects. This is a guy who his entire hockey playing career that we've seen him, he has found ways to adjust his game, change his pace, alter things, and figure it out on the fly. And honestly, like that's part of the reason why he's the number one overall pick is this adaptability, this versatility. You know, that counts for a lot, especially in a draft, as we were just talking about, that has more, say, developmental project types in the upper echelons of the draft compared to normal. You're on board with that as well, David? Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect his development all that much. And I'm not sure what he's going to learn more by going an extra year in the OHL because uh, I don't know if it's the right impression, but it feels like his game has already reached. feels like the, the junior game already taught him everything he could learn. Right. So maybe the next year in the NHL, he learns some new patterns. And his game right now, it's very scalable. Mitch used that term. It means that he's already playing the NHL game in junior right now so push him up a level he won't be as effective he's going to struggle in some ways but there are many plays that are going to translate immediately and i, I don't think the impact on his development is going to be ne negative necessarily in the nhl maybe neutral both options are good he's going to maybe add to his playmaking even more by going back to junior maybe by staying in the nhl he increases his motor and learns to play at a higher pace i see advantages to both sides yeah, I guess it's one of those situations where you don't want to necessarily have a prospect get bored. So you have to like tread that line of keeping them challenged, but maybe not overstimulating them as well. Like if he were in Montreal, per se, you're he's still going to be insulated by Nick Suzuki, right? He's not going to be the number one center as an 18 year old. Whereas if he's in Arizona, Maybe it's a bit of a tougher slog to go through a full year there where they're just continually selling off assets and like, oh, we got a 23 year old Jacob Chikrin here. Well, let's not uh, let's not keep him around for this 20 year rebuild. Let's just sell that off too and get some draft picks. But uh, not to dog on the Arizona Coyotes too much because I already did that on another show earlier today. <laughs> but uh, okay, last question here before we close it out: Have either of you guys seen much of uh, the pro the other prospects that the Canadians acquired this year? in trades, uh, Emil Heineman and I forget the first name, but, uh, Smolanic. Hi, Smolanic. Yeah. Hi, Smolanic. Yeah. I know that they seem to project relatively similar. They're like relatively similar style players. Good shot, a decent pace, maybe not a very complete game, but who is the better player from your viewings that you've seen or if you've seen them and, uh, do you like these players? Are they decent additions to the organization? I wrote about both of them on EP ringside. Uh, they're pretty much the same player. Heinemann's better. Uh, Heinemann's a better shooter, and Smolanik is a shooter. He's a better defender. Smolanik's value comes from defense largely. He's a better skater, um, and he's playing at a higher level. And on top of that, you know, you're projecting both of them to be kind of bottom of the lineup guys, and so you're looking for some degree of physical game, not necessarily running into people, but creating space, finding openings, attacking the middle, and Heinemann's a lot better at that. Neither of them are particularly cerebral players. Ty Splanik is the ultimate reactor in the sense that he doesn't anticipate things. He just chases the play constantly, and so he tricks you. It's like... Uh, like that Russell Westbrook quote on Pat Bev, Pat Bev trick y'all. Yeah, that's exactly what Ty Smolanik plays like. He's just sprinting around, sometimes mindlessly, sometimes with a thought. Um, and you're really hoping that 
player development, the new additions, Nicholas and the further ones that are coming are going to help him start anticipating the play better, leveraging his shot into getting open and finding opportunities. And then on top of that, building off the delay game that he shows in transition, because right now he's get puck, skate really fast up the boards until either he gets hit, loses control or shoots. And that's not how you score in the NHL. You won't be able to beat defenders by taking them wide every single time. He's just started to figure that out in the NCAA now. So maybe a little bit too behind the curve to, to like fully be able to maximize that. But with Adam Nicholas and, and further developmental staff coming, I'm sure they'll be able to put in some good work on him. And Heineman, he can, he can absolutely bomb it. Like he's got a big shot. He knows how to get open. He scores a lot for his role. So Heineman, probably more of like a, a third line type, a very, a very traditional bottom six player in a lot of ways, but he has enough skill to play the modern game, and Smolanik is probably more of a fourth liner. Right. Uh, oh, you know what? Last question. Let's throw another bone to uh, the Joshua fan club because I feel like it's very strong, and we'll, we'll uh, close it out with David answering this question. We, we talk, You talked about him needing to take another big step in his game and, you know, uh, skating clearly is something that he has to focus on. But in terms of focusing on his uh, his gameplay and because someone asked earlier if you can build hockey sense or is that just a natural thing? I feel like you can to a certain extent. But what specific things are working so well for Wa in in junior? And what does he what are the specific skill sets he needs to work on? To take the next step to be a, a, like a scoring NHLer. The Habs have really hired the perfect person to start figuring out how to build hockey sense because Adam Nicholas, he talks a lot about this. <laughs> I have I listened to him in a couple of podcasts and that's all he talks about. It's really his passion, building hockey sense. I think he does it through a combination of videos and small area games. And by small area games, I mean like uh, when you practice and you restrain the space and you have players really play in a small area and so you have to make your reads faster get open faster and the, the issue right now with Roy's OS game sorry I do that sometimes um, it's really that he needs the puck on his stick a lot and in the NHL you you can't carry the puck from zone to zone and shoot on that you need to move it quickly to someone else and get it back in the pocket of space so it's a give and go game in the NHL right now he plays more of a solo game he then goes someone finds a teammate or shoots so it's about um, building on his playmaking and building on his off game, anticipating pockets of space. Where can I position myself next to be in the best position possible to support the next player? So moving the puck and then immediately figuring out where the, the next pocket of space is going to appear. appear. Um, you see Caulfield play this kind of game. Like The reason he's so successful, uh, the reason he was so, so, so successful in the USHL and NCAA now in the NHL, he does carry the puck sometimes, but mostly why it works with Nick Suzuki is that he moves the puck to Suzuki, then it repositions the pocket of space, gets it back in a better position, and then shoots to score. Hua really has to learn to do that. He, the game won't be able to flow through him all the time like it does right now. It's going to be able to use it. It's going to have to learn to use his teammates to create plays for himself. And it's a big transition. When you're so used to carrying the play all the time, being the, the guy on the ice, it takes a while to change that mentality. Caulfield didn't have to do that because, yes, in college, he became like this superhero type of player where he would carry the puck. But it was already when he played with Jack Hughes in the USHL, he already played that type of game. Would move the puck, let Jack Hughes do his thing, find space. 
So what has to learn to do that? And I, I think I underestimated Saki's sense in his draft year. Maybe he can learn to adapt his game, but it's going to be a process and it's, it's going to be a really fun development project for Nicholas. I can already see them work together a lot on this, work on his skating. We saw Nicholas work with Baron on his skating. It's something Nicholas he can do a, absolutely everything in the development. I've seen clips of him do attack every part of a, not, not, not attack, but improve every part of a player's game. So yeah, the abs are the right person, but it's a big step for what to, what to take. Sorry. And he is going to need some time. So don't expect him to be in NHL in the NHL next year. It's going to take another year of junior, probably maybe a year of AHL and then maybe the NHL. We'll yeah, see. And that, that's really, entirely reasonable yeah. Uh, yeah. as a, like a projection path, right? Like you can't expect guys who are drafted in the fifth round to, to make it into the NHL at 20 years old. It's, yeah. It just doesn't make, I mean, there's very rare exceptions to the rule, like Brendan Gallagher, but even he got to play a half year in the American Hockey League before the lockout ended. And then he vaulted right into the NHL and produced at a higher level in the NHL than the American Hockey League, which should have given everyone a big red flag on Sylvain Lefebvre back in the day. But apparently <laughs> it took a couple more years yeah. to get him out of the organization. But uh, yeah, it, I feel like Wad, now that he's shown the high level skill set, there's there needs to be a big organizational focus on getting the best out of him. But what you mentioned there and not playing like the give and go game and having to hold the puck all the time in combination with him not being the best skater, you see where it becomes a project, right? It It's multiple things together that are a limitation that could keep him out of the league. But uh, we'll wrap it there. Thank you so much, both of you. For giving us your reads on so many Canadians prospects and draft eligibles because frankly that game for the Canadians wasn't really worth talking about outside of Jake <laughs> Allen throwing it down in the second period I mean he was great in the first two but he was incredible in the second period and then I think faced one shot in the third because <laughs> the Hurricanes were just like hey, we'll just yeah. sit back and clog this up play perfect defense but thank you so much before we close it out uh, first uh, David then Mitch Tell everybody where they can check out your work and what you got going on lately. Yeah, you can check out ePearingSide.com where we both write our articles, uh, our new YouTube channel that's only growing. Please check this out. We're trying to put out some really nice content and <laughs> we work really hard to put that content too. So it's Elite Prospects. You can type it in the search bar in YouTube and you can. my Twitter is David. Saint Louis, and I think there's an underscore. That's what you call it between yep. Saint and Louis. I just change it so I can't remember it sometimes. But that's pretty much it for me. And you can follow me at Mitch L Brown on Twitter, and of course, go to our YouTube channel if you like the Carolina Hurricanes and you wanted to partake in the tire fire. Go check out my Seth Jarvis video. I made it, and so it rules. That's my opinion on it. You might have, you might disagree. It does. It does. <laughs> And also go check out the Caden Gooley video as well. Caden uh, Gooley wakes up every day and chooses violence. That's the title. It's four minutes of like just pure violence and then four minutes of a more technical breakdown. It's a good time. It is. It is great. And you guys do great work. And I know, uh, Mitch, you also published something about Cole Caulfield recently. So everyone should go check that out because you can't get enough Cole Caulfield right now. I mean, frankly, he has been absolutely incredible. I know he hasn't put up a point in the last couple of games here, but Frankly, you can't do it every single game, especially on a team with uh, this little depth going on. So another 14 games left in this season. 
and we'll be with you for all of them. And of course, Game Over is expanding, so uh, get over and check out sdpn.ca slash careers if you want to do Game Over Toronto, or Edmonton, or Calgary, or Vancouver, or Winnipeg. Send us your application, and uh, 